We are in our series on the book of Psalms, as we talk to the children about. Today, we are going to be talking about Psalms of Lament, what it means to, to share a Psalm of Lament, what it means to sit in a time of lament. We are going to be in Psalm 80, and today I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to ask you to take out your bulletin, which has the whole psalm in it, um, and then turn to it, get a writing utensil, and, oh, I know, the text is a little small, but I had to fit it in, so you might not be able to read it. I'm sorry. You know, I took for granted eyesight when I was a little bit younger, and I thought you all made a big deal about how things were too small. I was wrong. I was wrong. Things are too small. It's hard to read. So what I'm going to do while I'm reading this, I'm going to ask you, there is a phrase that is repeated in this psalm. It's repeated three and a half times because one word is translated differently, so it's really four times. But I want to see if you can pick it up, so pay attention as I'm reading, and circle it if you pick up the, the phrase that is repeated four different times, and we're going to talk about that today. Here's what the scripture tells us. Hear us, shepherd of Israel. You, lead Joseph, you led Joseph like a flock. You who sit enthroned between the cherubim, shine forth between Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Awaken your might. Come and save us. Restore us, O God. Make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. How long, Lord God Almighty, will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears. You have made them drink tears by the bowlful. You have made us an object of derision to our neighbors and our enemies. Mock us. Restore us, God Almighty. Make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. You have transplanted a vine from Egypt. You have drove out the nations and planted it. You have cleared the ground for it and, have it, and it has taken root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. Its branches reached as far as the sea, its shoots as far as the river. Why have you broken down its walls so that all who pass by pick its grapes? Boars from the forest ravage it, and insects from the fields feed on it. Return to us, God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see, watch over this vine. The root to your right hand has planted, the sun you have raised up for yourself. Your vine is cut down. It is burned with fire at, at the rebuke of your people perish. Let your hand rest on the man at, the right, at your right hand, the son of man you have raised, raise up for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us and we will call on your name. Restore us. Lord God Almighty, make your face shine on us that we may be saved. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God indeed. So what was it? Restore, right? Restore us, God. And there's this one place in verse 14 which says return to us. But that same word, it's the same word used in Hebrew just in a different tense. In past tense instead of future tense, right? That kind of stuff. So it's the same Hebrew word. It's the same calling. And so this psalm of lament is a cry for God to return to God's people. And I want to talk about what lament means. I want to talk about how we experience lament as a country, as an individuals. But first, I want to talk a little bit about the world in which we live today. 
The world that we live in today is, well, I don't know, I would call it broken. I frequently call it broken when we are here together because that word seems to cover so many things, right? I think most of us could easily say this is not what God created. This is not the will of God. This is not what God wanted for us, this level of strife, this level of difficulty, this level of division. And division is what I see the most in our world today. This big divide between us, creating groups that are like me and then groups that are not like me, right? There's the us and there's them. And that goes for many things. It's racial, it's ethnic, it's the way that we speak, it's where we shop, it's what political party we are aligned with. Well, you know, there's us and there's them. There's Walmart people and then there's Publix people. You want to know something? I'm both those people. Depends on the day of the week, right? But for some, it's us and them. There's Republicans and there's Democrats. I don't want to know. We just know that they exist, right? And there's this divide making the us and the them. There's people who believe rightly, whatever you put in that box of rightly. And then there's the rest of those people who don't know anything, who just can't seem to get it right, who don't try enough who don't listen to wisdom, right? There's us and there's them. This division is something that is not something that you and I just see. In fact, a study was done by BBC recently that said that division, America, they polled Americans, and Americans, 84% of Americans believe that this world today is more divided than they've ever experienced it before. Most of them believing that it's more divided than it was 10 years ago, which I think is pretty clear, right? Because before we had Republicans and Democrats, but they could kind of get along. There would be places in the middle where they would agree. There would be this, this commonality of humanity, this recognition that, yes, we disagree on some things, but we are both in this together. But somehow today, somehow today, what we experience is divide that pulls at the very being of the fabric of what this country is. But it's not only this country. BBC um, polled all sorts of countries, um, over 25 as a matter of fact, and every single one of them, over 50% of the population, thought that their world was more divided than it ever had been before. Highest among them, 93% of Serbians. I don't know much about Serbia, but I wouldn't have thought that they were as divided as us. But 93% of Serbians believe that their world, that the culture that they live in is more divided than it ever has been before. 92% of Argentinians, 90% 90 90 of Chileans, and 89% of Italians. Now, they have all the good food. What do they have to be divided about, right? But they're divided. It seems like division is the thing that marks this era distinctly because it's pervasive. And it keeps us from being the people that God created us to be because I see God this way, you see God that way, and because we don't agree, we can't get along and we can't be friends. We can't even go to the same church together. Did you know that the Methodist church was created to live in the middle? This place that you call home was created to be a place of the via media, the middle road, the middle direction, where we understood that there's going to be people that believe here and there's going to be people that believe this, but we can stand in that tension and do God's work together. 
right? That is one of the biggest things about being a Methodist that I love the most is this idea that we can disagree yet still do the work of God together, right? But that ability for us to do this life together is falling apart at its seams. But that division is not new to the world. That division actually has existed all throughout time. And this lament that we see here stems from that same type of division. The laments that you see in scripture can be either individual laments, like me crying out to God, or they can be corporate laments, a whole group of people coming together to cry out to God. And in Psalm 80, that's what we see. We see a corporate lament. We see a lament of God's people coming together and saying, what is happening and why have you left us alone? You see a group of people suffering and hurting and taking that hurt and crying out to God. Lament is one of the most important things we can do as the followers of Christ, as children of God, because when we lament, it orients us. I'm going to say that again. When we lament, when we take our cries and we give them to God, it orients us. It writes us. It points us in the right direction. I'm going to talk a little bit about how that happens today. You see, when Daniel said in our children's time that it's probably not a good thing to be angry at God, I was hoping one of the kids would say that. Because do you know how many times I've heard those words said to me as a pastor? I remember being at a funeral, and I remember the person just really hurting and upset because they were so sad and lost. They were so angry that they had lost this person that they loved so much. And their loved one, one of their family members, said to them, you cannot be mad at God. I was so glad I was there. I was so glad I was there. And I said, yes, 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 you can. God knows how we feel. God knows we are going to be angry. God knows that we're not going to be able to understand sometimes. And God wants us to take all of that to him because it orients us. Think about what your choices are when you're angry, when you're upset, when you're sad. One choice is not to process it at all, which you know what, as Americans, we're really stinking good at, right? We are really good at just stuffing those feelings down and not dealing with them because we've been told somewhere along the way that girls don't do that, boys don't cry, you know, all of that stuff, right? If you're, if you're a girly girl, manly man, whatever, you don't do these things. But that's not how we were created. We were created to be in community. We were created to share life with one another, not just the celebrations, not just the good parts, but the hard stuff too. And so the first thing that we need to do when we are upset, when we're angry, when we're sad, is not stuff it. That's the number one thing. The first thing we need to do is notice it, recognize it, feel it. I mean, really let yourself feel it. And then when we take those feelings to God, we are grounded 
in truth, in love, in goodness, in light, in hope. You see, lamenting to God orients us. Do you know what we see today? I see people lamenting everywhere but with God. I see people lamenting all over Facebook, which is honestly one of the top five reasons why I am not on Facebook. Because you turn on Facebook and you hear what people say. I see this person say, Joe Biden is the worst person ever to face planet Earth. And then I see on this side, this person saying, Donald Trump is the worst person ever to ever face planet Earth, right? We see these things. We have these opinions. We have these hurts. We have these feelings. We are afraid. We are afraid that the people in power are going to lead us astray and that we are going to suffer because of it. And we take those fears, we take those hurts, we take those pains, and we spout them on the other people, right? We just put them out there into the ethos, thinking, I don't know what we're thinking when we do that. Honestly, I don't. I don't know what we're thinking, but we do it, right? That's where we put it. Or... We keep it stuffed inside and then we go home and we yell at our kids because, you know, they didn't put their shoes where they belong. Granted, they should put their shoes where they belong, but they don't need to be yelled at it for it, right? But we yell because we're mad about something else, something we haven't dealt with, something we haven't lamented over, something we haven't processed in our lives. And it carries over into areas where it doesn't belong, We see people lamenting, bringing their anger. We see it at the workplace. We see it, think of all of the shootings that have happened in schools, in the workplaces, where there is anger, where there is fear, where there is lament, and they've taken those feelings and they've put them somewhere, but they haven't placed them with God. They haven't been oriented by a God that's loving and caring and forgiving. See, the reality is we lament, but we don't do it well. We don't do it in a way that grows our faith. We don't do it in a way that grows others' faith as they watch us lament, because guess what? Our kids and our grandkids and our nieces and our nephews and our coworkers are watching us. They're watching us feel the pain that we feel. They are watching us process that pain, and they are watching how we do it, and they are learning from us. They are learning. And what they're learning is a very dangerous, toxic way of sharing hurt and pain. They are learning in real time that old adage that hurt people hurt people. You see, instead of processing our pain and our hurt and our laments with God where it belongs, we're taking it with us into the world and creating more division, creating more pain and sharing in a way that has no healing or redemptive qualities to it. The Israelites were just like you and I. In this lament, you see the psalmist crying out. And what is happening that led up to this is something that is really important for us to understand. You see, at this point in time, they believe that when this psalm was written, it was written after Israel fell into two different categories. There was a time after King Solomon 
King Solomon, who was known as the wise king, King Solomon, who under him, Israel really flourished. After he died, leadership didn't go so well. There was a lot of problems with the person who took his place. And guess what happened? There was a camp who thought that the person who took his place was the best. And then there was a camp who thought that the person who took his place was an idiot. Right? And guess what happened? I bet you can guess what happened, right? They were divided. And instead of finding a common ground where they could stay united, they continued to divide. They continued to separate. They continued to be an us and a them. They continued so much that Israel went from being one country, a united people, to being two. A northern and a southern territory. The northern territory remained Israel, and it had 10 different tribes make up that. And then the southern part was Judah, and it was made up of two tribes. And Israel, which used to be united, became two, which honestly, my friends, feels a lot like today. These people who God created, these people who are people after God's own heart, these people who God blessed deeply couldn't get out of their own way. They couldn't figure out how to live together in disagreement. Because guess what? We're never going to all agree. I mean, if history has shown anything, it's that we're never going to all agree. The question is, can we live in that together? Can we disagree well? Can we play nice? Right now, today, I don't see a lot of playing nice happen. I see a lot of blaming. I see a lot of hurt. I see a lot of pain. When all of that comes from is fear. We're afraid. You see, the statistics that show that we see this division happening also showed that it's increasing our level of nationalism. So as we become afraid, as we see this division happen, we start to become more nationalistic, which means like we tend to be like more, yay, America, which honestly, America is struggling right now, right? But it's kind of like we're holding on. <laughs> we're holding on. At the same time that we're more nationalistic, we are less trusting of our leaders. Now, how does that make sense? Right? We trust the system less, we trust our leaders less, but we're holding on to this fact that we are a great place, that the place is what's important. And we're taking our fear and our anger and we're stowing it everywhere, but we're not submitting ourselves to God. In this lament, you see the psalmist come before God in that same type of division with their fears, with their pains. And there's four distinct areas. And you saw, if you saw on the script, you saw there were four times where the psalmist says, Restore us, O God. Restore us, O God. And each one of those times that it is said, it's, it's marking off a different area of the psalm. So the first area of the psalm is a call. It's a cry. It's a God, hello, are you there? It's like you dialed the telephone, you picked it up and said, hi, I'd like to speak with God, please. That's the call. That's the beginning. It's the first thing. And what do they call God? The psalmist calls God our shepherd. 
The imagery of shepherding is something that is all throughout Scripture, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And as a shepherd, the shepherd is in control. The sheep are completely reliant on the shepherd. For those of you who are farmers, you get this way more than I would, but I can get the picture. The sheep don't get to eat unless the shepherd gets them to a place where they can roam. The sheep don't get to drink unless the shepherd walks them to water. The sheep are left vulnerable to the wolves until the shepherd protects them. They are completely reliant on the shepherd. Not only are they actually completely reliant, but they have submitted to that reliance, right? So as Christians, you and I would agree we're completely reliant to God. The reality, though is that more often than not, we do not submit to that reliance. We try to do it all ourselves. We try to fix these things ourselves. We say, if I just believe this hard enough, and if I share with the world that this is the way that the world should be, then it will be like that. I mean, I don't know. I guess guess that's what you're thinking when you post. I don't know. So instead of submitting to God, being reliant on our shepherd, We become reliant on the ways of this world. We become reliant on Facebook for getting our point of view out there. We become reliant on the news, which honestly is not news. I got an email this week from something that calls itself a Christian outlet. I have no idea how I got on their list. And it said, food shortage is coming. And you know what? If I wasn't a discerning reader, I might have believed that. Right? And even if they are coming, what is the purpose in sending that out other than to increase the level of fear that you and I are living with? Other than to increase the level of division that you and I have to live with every single day? Because there's going to be one camp that says, well, somebody is to blame for that. There's going to be another camp to say, well, yeah, there's somebody to blame for it, you. Right? You see, all around us are the voices of people who say they have an answer, but we know they don't have an answer. All around us are ways for us to process the things that are hard for us to deal with, yet when we use those resources, we are creating more pain and division. We are not being oriented by a shepherd who is the only one who can protect us. The only one who can direct us to water and to food. And this psalmist recognizes in that call that God is shepherd. You see, you see the orienting happening already. In the first few words, the psalmist says says to to God, it says, hear us, shepherd of Israel. It's already orienting its heart. It's reminding him simply in his words that God is shepherd. Not the political forces. Not the south and not the north, but God. God is shepherd. And he says, you who are enthroned, shine forth before. Now, this is important. And unless you knew the context, you wouldn't get this. But it says, shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. You see, not only does the psalmist recognize that God is God, but recognizes that God is still the God of all people. Because Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh represent both sides of the southern and the northern tribes of Israel and Judah. 
See, the psalmist is not saying, those people are bad, they've done wrong, can you fix them, please? Which is almost always our prayer. In some way or the other, we're like, those people, would you fix them, please? This psalmist is not saying, here is the answer, do it, God. This psalmist is saying, I recognize that you are the shepherd, both of us and them. Shine on us, God. And then we have our first refrain, restore us. Restore us, not restore them. Restore us. And then, then the next piece, so we have the call, then we have, we have the cry, we have the suffering. We have the complaining, the whining, if you want to call it. I do this with God. God knows me well. God knows my heart. God knows, oh, this is going to be one of those sessions. Okay, bring it on. Let's hear it. And here's what they say. How long, how long are you going to let us sit like this, God? How long? Because here's the thing. Where they were in a state of division, in this place where another country, the Assyrians at this point in time, had control over who they were and were knocking them out, were actually moving them out of the northern territories because there was too many of them. So they were taking people from their homes and they were moving them to other places so that they couldn't rise up against them, right? Does it sound familiar to where we live today? The psalmist cries out to God and says, how long will your anger smolder against us? It's important to understand that God did not create these moments. God allowed it. And there's a distinct difference between God creating something and God allowing something. And what was happening in the northern and the southern territories, what was happening in this division was a result, not of God, but of people's will being exerted against God's will. Right? These were people who thought they were right, who were so certain they were right, that they couldn't be in relationship with the other. It was their behavior. It was their actions. They would have said, no, it's not mine. It's their fault, right? It's the not me ghost. My house is called the not me ghost. Who's the one that broke this plant? Not me. <laughs> not me, right? And that's the way we live as Americans. It's not me. It's not me. It's not us. We didn't do this. If you believe like we believe, we would not be in this position today. But you ask anybody on any side, that's true, Right? But this psalmist recognizes that God could do something about it. This psalmist recognizes the power of God. This psalmist recognizes that God is shepherd, and if God wanted to, God could fix all of these problems. God could stop in his tracks all of the Assyrians from moving people from their houses. He could stop the division that existed, and that could happen today too, right? The only one powerful enough to create unity amongst the division we exist in today is God, is our shepherd. So instead of going to Facebook, instead of going to his friends, the psalmist goes to God and says, God, how long? How long are you going to let us sit here? Because I know you could do something about it. I know you could change this. I know you could fix this. Restore us, God Almighty. The next refrain. So after the call, and after the complaining, crying, whining, whatever you want to call it, there's this remembering. 
this remembering of God's power, this remembering of the way that God had provided in the past. What the psalmist does is he reminds God, don't you remember? You created all of this. You took a vine that was nothing, the Israelite people, and he saved them from captivity with the Egyptians. Is what he's talking about here. This is the vine that he's talking about here. He took this little shoot of people, he took them and he rescued them and then he planted them in a foreign land. And in this foreign land, they thrived. They had ups and downs, but they thrived and they felt the goodness of God shining upon them. And what the Israelite um, psalmist is doing here is saying, God, remember when you used to like us. You used to think we were okay. But really, the psalmist is orienting himself, right? You see, when he cries to God, he's orienting his cries towards God. When he cries to God, he's remembering that God is the one in control. When he cries to God, he's also orienting his knowledge of trust and faith. He's reminding himself more than he's crying out to God that God is good that God is faithful and that God has this covered, right? Do you see that? Do you see how this psalm of lament orients him, not more in this world, not more in division, but towards the Father who can do something about it? The last piece is this beautiful ask. It's a request. He says, listen, Look down and see, look down and see our suffering. Look down and see our pain. Also, look down and see the remnant of people who are being faithful to you because there does exist a group of people who believe that you are shepherd, who believe that you are going to take us out of this time, who believe that you can fix what we are going through. Let your hand rest. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand. Fix us, God. And then the refrain finishes. Restore us, Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine down on us that we may be saved. Lament is an important part of our daily, daily lives with God. Because I know even on your good days, there's things that are a little bit royally inside of you, right? Even on your good days, you still live in a world that is broken. And so you need to join the chorus of the company of God's people, the corporate lament and praying for this nation. How often do you pray for this nation in a neutral way? And I say that on purpose. <laughs> How often do you go before God like the psalmist and say, I recognize that you are God. I recognize that you're the only one who can fix this. And I ask you, Lord, to fix this in the way that you decide is right. See, I've heard lots of prayers that sound more like, God, if you would just get us a different leader. Listen, friends, we've had a million leaders. Not that many, but you know. It's all the same. If... You could just make those people behave like I was tra trained, like I grew up to believe, then we'd be good, right? If everybody just believed like my grandma did, this world would be better. I'm not saying it wouldn't. But what we're doing is we're going to God with the solution instead of simply submitting to God in the process. 
saying, God, this is awful, saying, God, this is hard, saying, God, this world is broken. And the only thing that can fix it is you. The only thing that can fix it is you. So there's two questions I want you to leave with today. The first question I want you to ask yourself every day is what voice am I listening to? You see, a shepherd and a sheep have a very distinct relationship. The sheep know the shepherd's voice. They're not born knowing it. They know it because they've built a relationship with the shepherd. They know it because they've spent time with the shepherd. They know it because they have a relationship. Is your relationship with God deep enough that you know your shepherd's voice? Or is it just one of the many that you hear every day? What voice are you listening to? And then the second question that I want you to ask yourself is, where are you looking for answers? Where are you looking for answers? Doctors are a great thing. God created doctors. I believe that God created medicine. But doctors don't have all the answers. Politicians don't have all the answers. School teachers, my friends, cannot fix your child. Right? Where are you looking for answers? Is it in this world? Or are you coming before God and submitting all of you, all of your life, all of this world to God's power? What voice are you listening to? And where are you going for answers? Because I believe that if you and I learned to properly lament, I believe if you and I took the rhythm of lamenting seriously, then we would be changed. And do you know what happens when we're changed? Do you know what happens when we are oriented towards God? Our families change. You know what happens when our families change? Our communities change. You know what happens when our communities change? Guess what? This world changes, but it begins with you begins with you. You and I cannot fix the division that exists in this world today. There's nothing you can post on Facebook. There's nothing you can put on Instagram. There's nothing that you could send out in a mass email, as beautiful as it may be, that could solve all the world's problems. But you can submit to your shepherd. You can orient your life with God, who is the only one who can do any of these things. And that as you do that, you can become an instrument of God's work in this world. And the world will change. The world will change. So this week, I want you to lament. I want you to cry out to God. I want you to be angry. I want you to be hurt. I want you to take your fears. And I want you to put them at the feet of your shepherd. And to watch how he comforts you and how he directs you. And I want you to believe that you could be part of the way that God wants to heal this world simply by submitting to your creator. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, 
You are our shepherd. We are your sheep. We ask you, Lord, to restore us. Restore us. Teach us to be oriented by your love. Teach us to be oriented by your grace. Teach us to be oriented by your mercy. Teach us to find comfort at your feet. And create in us a willingness, God, to let you be shepherd. Because if we do that, the things that this world could look like it's a, beautiful, it's a beautiful picture of what it is you want to do in this world. Help us, Lord, to be a part of that change. It's in your name we pray. Amen.